What is IOT or the Internet of Things? Well, it's a phrase to describe an ever-growing network of real-world objects that are connected to the internet. Examples include your smartphone, your smart lights, fitness trackers, and more. In other words, IoT blurs the line between the real world and the digital world. An interesting use case for IoT is machine-to-machine -machine payments. Imagine there existed a network of sensors that collected weather-related data. You have a phone app that purchases this data in real time in order to craft a reliable forecast of the day's weather. What sort of payment system will we need to support such a use case? Well, we would need something that's scalable. There's over 26 billion, and yes, that's billion, IoT devices out there as of 2019. That's a lot of potential transactions. Furthermore, we need a system that's lightweight. IoT devices can be small sensors with very limited computational resources. Will they be able to participate? Finally, and most importantly, we need a system that allows for fee-less transactions. A class of transactions, microtransactions, can take place between machines. Does it make sense to pay dollars in fees for a transaction that's worth less than a cent? Today, we talk about IOTA, a project that provides a groundbreaking insight into a scalable, lightweight, and fee-less ledger that can power payments for IOT. Furthermore, we have the distinct privilege of talking with Sergei Popov, one of the original co-founders of IOTA. Through him, we'll gain even deeper insight into what IOTA is all about. This is the White Paper Center, brought to you by Randall Richard Raymond. Hey. Hello? Hey, Sergey, how's it going? I had called Sergey, co-founder of IOTA, and we quickly got acquainted. The plan was to interlace the reading of the white paper with a conversation with Sergey himself. Great. So, I mean, first thing to start off with, uh, just for those who may not know too much about you, uh, do you mind introducing yourself and, you know, what you've done in the space and, uh, you know, a little bit more about what, about who you are? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, by the way, thank you for inviting me to, to this uh, podcast. Yep. Um, so, well, uh, I'm originally from, from Moscow. I graduated from the Moscow State University as the mathematician. Then, more than 20 years ago, went to, to Brazil. And, well, I just constructed all my academic career here in Brazil. So, right now, I'm, I'm a professor in the University of Campinas, also known as uh, Unicamp. Mm. And, well, I'm just a hardcore mathematician. Um, uh, I prove theorems. That's my kind of main work. Uh, my area is uh, stochastic processes, Markov chains, probability theory in, in general this uh, this sort of stuff but well some five almost six years ago yeah six years ago uh, i came across uh, an article about bitcoin well read it like liked the idea very much thought oh, okay i will mine, mine bitcoin now and become rich <laughs> uh, but, uh, okay uh, then uh, unfortunately discovered that it's not so easy to become rich in this world oh, yeah. for some reason 
and well but anyway i found the, the idea behind bitcoin really really great um, just genius thing well so i started to read more about bitcoin started to read about um, alternative cryptocurrencies so i registered on this famous uh, maybe infamous forum bitcointalk.org you know <laughs> yep. uh, and uh, yeah started reading it um, and uh, at some moment i came across um, a very interesting and novel concept of cryptocurrency called NXT. Mm. Yeah, well, um, it was the kind of first pure proof of stake uh, cryptocurrency. And yeah, I liked uh, the idea very much. I liked in particular that uh, you don't need to really mine it by wasting so much energy. And yeah, so then I kind of started to read uh, their forums, started to talk with people, uh, started to talk with uh, the, the founder of uh, NXT, who is uh, by chance also called Sergei, is from <laughs> Belarusia. So, um, and uh, yeah, at some, at some point, I just made some calculations about the blockchain of NXT. Um, I, I, I have to explain, by the way, that all blockchains uh, generally have a lot to do with something called Poisson process. Well, it's a, it's a mathematical model, um, very, very well known. Mm. And uh, it happens that uh, I, I kind of know a lot about it because uh, well, that's my, my speciality. So yeah, if if you want to really understand blockchain, you need to understand this uh, Poisson process somehow. Mm. And well, um, I did some lack of envelope calculations about the blockchain of NXT, like what's the probability that you generate a block, uh, probability of forking, and ah, many many sort of stuff, um, and then posted these calculations uh, on this NXT forum. Well, uh, people saw it. Then people said, oh, that's great. I mean, looks great. Uh, it's not possible to understand anything, but it looks great, you know. <laughs> and then uh, uh, I kind of became the mathematician of of the community of NXT. Mm. I mean, it was, it was not quite so much uh, an achievement because the math mathematics there is not very, very profound, but well, still it's, uh, it's a decent mathematics. I even published these, uh, uh, these notes later in this ledger journal. Mm -hmm. I think a couple of years ago or so, but anyway, uh, then the story was that after 
couple of years in the beginning of uh, 2015 uh, the founder of NXT Sergei Ivanchenko together with uh, another guy from NXT community called David Zonsteberg mm-hmm. uh, they invited me to to their new project which is now known as IOTA right the name was not there from the beginning but well uh, they invited me kind of to be the mathematician of the project to write a white paper to lay uh, the theoretical ground of it and and so on right so then the whole first half of uh, 2015 we were kind of sitting and trying to figure out how to do it because there are many challenges in uh, the iota design that i maybe will talk about later mm-hmm. but well um, in the in october more or less it was uh, it was ready and then uh, I think you know the more or less what happened after. There was a token sale, and uh, then in 2016 there was a first version of the network, and okay. then the community grew, and well, and so on and so forth. But yeah, I'm I'm still doing research about IOTAs. It's very interesting. That's that's fantastic. So it's really been a pretty long and rich history you've had both in the in the space and also specifically within IOTA. That's fantastic. Um, and Thanks. kind of what I see from a top level is both your role almost as kind of the, the mathematician of the community and also IOTA and that kind of motivation to get into the project when the other Sergey originally invited you on board. But there seems to be another pretty big component of IOTA itself, which is the idea of empowering kind of this ecosystem for machines to send transactions to one another, right? And, you know, IOTA promises to be sort of the payment system to help uh, fuel payments between IoT devices, right? Um, but right. one thing that I, I think a lot of people will love to know is, right, what are some of the use cases that you guys are most excited about? For machine-to-machine payments, well, um, I maybe not the uh, the the better the best person to to speak about this because uh, you know I'm a mathematician and right. mathematicians live in imaginary worlds. They kind mm-hmm. of don't care too much about the real world. But well, if you think about what IoT is supposed to be, uh, well, there will be a lot of uh, small chips, uh, sensors, whatever around the world, mm-hmm. and they will send a lot of transactions here and there. And these transactions may be of really uh, small value uh, or even of zero value. You can send just data. Uh, for instance, uh, you're driving on the highway and someone is interested in uh, in the statistics related to to this like 
how you accelerate, what um, what is the uh, gas consum consumption, uh, I don't know, anything related to such stuff. And then your car may have a, a, a node which would send uh, small pieces of this information more or less continuously and receive very small payments uh, for for this information. Well, I imagine this will not cost a lot, but well, it's still nice to to be able to receive for this uh, kind of data data stuff. Uh, by the way, there is a project uh, called Data Marketplace uh, in the IoT ecosystem, which is more or less about this. Mm. Yeah. Sell date, data for some small small amount of money. Yeah. Um, but uh, again, I'm not the best best person to, to speak about this. I, I'm more a theory guy. <laughs> and either way, that was actually, I thought that was a fantastic use case, right? Because um, for those who are listening who might be um, car enthusiasts or people who repair cars, uh, one thing I know a little bit about is sort of the onboard diagnostics available in a car. And I think it'd be a great use case, kind of what you're saying, uh, to be able to almost relay that data that you can normally get through Bluetooth or Wi-Fi um, to some node and have that node stream that data, receiving some payments to either the cloud or some other third-party provider you can you know process that data yeah. and give that information another way so i think that's actually a fantastic use case yeah, um, so there are many possible use cases but yeah right you are invited to to join our community on discord and talk to them oh yeah yeah and uh in fact we can at the end of the of the talk we can provide some of those details such as the reddit the Discord, any Telegram chats, so so people who are listening can also um, get into the know about what, where those channels are. Um, but great, so yeah, yeah uh, but uh, it's it you have to be careful and mm -hmm. not to choose a, a chat uh, of speculators because these <laughs> guys only talk about money. Right, right, right. <laughs> on the main, on the main uh, Discord, for instance, it's forbidden to speculate because, well, if you permit it, then yeah, it will become difficult. You know? <laughs> yeah, ideally, we want people that actually want to talk about the technology. IOTA is both scalable and feeless. That sounds too good to be true, right? Well, how does it do it? Well, first, it completely does away with the blockchain structure replacing it with something called a DAG, or Directed Acyclic Graph. A DAG is a graph where one node on the DAG can point to any other node on the graph as long as it doesn't create a cycle. The crux of this DAG structure is that there is no longer only one place for new transactions to be added to, as is the case with blockchains. Transactions can connect to any opening on the graph. To solve for fees, IOTA completely does away with the idea that there needs to be separate classes of validators and transaction issuers. Instead, every participant in the network is both a validator and an issuer. More specifically, in order to issue a transaction, you must also validate other transactions. Issuing transaction is relatively simple in IOTA. A network participant will select two other transactions. Then they'll make sure the transactions are valid. 
After that, they'll solve a small cryptographic puzzle to prevent spam, and finally, they'll add their own transaction to the DAG. There is a property of distributed ledger technology known as finality, which is a point in which a transaction can no longer be reversed. Finality is critical to the security of a network. Bitcoin has probabilistic finality. Typically, after a transaction has been buried under six blocks, it is nearly impossible for an attacker to reverse the transaction. When IOTA was first created, finality was possible thanks to a special agent known as the coordinator. The coordinator periodically issues transactions called milestones, which effectively say that all transactions that come before the milestone transaction are valid. Nonetheless, this coordinator makes IOTA centralized. Recently, the IOTA team has released an extension to IOTA called Quartiside, which removes the coordinator. Thanks to Quartiside, IOTA can be scalable, decentralized, secure, and defeatless. Another big thing that's going on in IOTA uh, is definitely the recent news by recent, I say earlier this year, but the big news about, you know, the coordinate, the coordinate, the Quartiside and the Quartiside, yeah. Right. And so before we even get into the Quartiside, uh, I think I'd love to know your your take and understanding on the original motivation for even having a coordinate in the first place. Well, so um, the original uh, white paper of IOTA, it, it's not, it was not really about IOTA. It was about the mathematical model of IOTA. And uh, it was kind of um, shown uh, in a more or less uh, mathematical way that uh, if in, in such a system the amount of honest transactions is much bigger than the amount of dishonest transactions issued by, by attackers or, some, or someone, then it will work fine. There will be no double spans and nothing of the sort. So, well, then uh, what we basically did uh, was uh, we added some basic proof of work in order to issue a transaction. You have to do some proof of work. Uh, it's not comparable to proof of work needed to mine a block on Bitcoin. So in IOTA, as you know, it's the users that insert transactions into the ledger, not the miners. Mm -hmm. we, we did this precisely in order to eliminate fees because, well, if you have miners, they will charge fees one way or another. So we had to kind of build a collaborative system uh, out of principle. You help, you help me and I help you, right? Exactly. So there would be on, only users who collaborate between each other, like I... I vouch for your transactions, you vouch for my transactions, and it goes like this. And um, uh, But then uh, the problem was that uh, it, there were kind of two paths. Either you raise a difficulty so much that you would start needing some I don't know, ASICs or FPGAs or whatever in order to issue transactions. 
and then it would be kind of problematic for internet of, of things right exactly yeah we don't want fees and for things yeah and then they they will be mining mining center for mining these transactions and, and they would charge the fees and uh, and what the hell why the hell would we design such a system to get into into the same sort of uh, shoot sorry uh, <laughs> again <laughs> uh, so well and uh, now right now uh, you can issue a transaction on your cell phone uh, with some I don't I don't remember maybe 10 seconds of proof of work or something so you see it's it's not quite comparable to the amount of proof of work needed to to mine a block in Bitcoin um, but on the other hand you would imagine that if you uh, if you rely only on this only on proof of work then well at some moment someone would maybe build an ASIC and um, issue a lot a lot of transactions uh, maybe double spend and destroy the network so um, we kind of uh, sacrificed the decentralizedness, if you permit me to to tell mm -hmm. this word, of the of the system, in the beginning to to make it to make it secure, uh, to be able to to test the engineering solutions, software solutions to to make the system that actually works in practice, then. Uh, the network would grow, the adoption would grow, and then we would remove the coordinator in, in due time. Mm -hmm. Well, it's more or less now this time we are, uh, we published our solution for Cardicide uh, in May. Right. And since, since then we are working on it very actively. Mm -hmm. but what we published was a more theoretical one and then since then, our vision evolved a little bit. It, it continues more or less the same, but now we, uh, we know about some better way to, to solve it. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you, if you want me to describe in more details uh, how does it work or if you so, want to talk yeah, no, about I think because some of the details and more fine-grained details of how it works, well, I'll, I'll mention that in other parts of the podcast. Um, so that part's fine. Um, but I think what you provided was also great in its own way, right? Because um, I think that also gives more motivation for why a lot of the things are the way they are in IOTA, especially the parts with, you know, not having any fees, right? Having Myers would have created a system where we needed fees. Um, and also, one thing I want to kind of come back to is the whole point of the coordinator, right? Because my understanding at least was that the coordinator was a device used to ensure finality in- Yes, exactly. Right? It's a finality device. Right, exactly. Uh, do you mind explaining to those listening why finality is important, especially within the context of uh, distributed ledger technology? Uh, so in general, uh, the main problem of distributed ledgers is that 
there is no physical object that represents your money. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if if you have a, a banknote, then you uh, you can pay it to me. But after you paid it to me, you cannot pay to another guy by the same banknote. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, or if you have a, a gold coin, then it's again the same. Now, in distributed ledgers, um, in digital distributed ledgers, well, <laughs> the basic problem which needs to be solved is the problem of double spending. Mm-hmm. It's well, it's a problem in every distributed ledger that exists in this world. So, uh, basically. I can sign a transaction paying one Bitcoin or one Yota to you. And I can also sign a transaction which pays the same uh, Bitcoin or the same Yota to, well, to someone else. Then uh, it, would be a, it would be a problem if, uh, if uh, both transactions both these transactions were considered valid because, well, in this case, instead of instead of spending one Bitcoin which belongs to me, I would spend kind of something that does not belong to me, and it's obviously kind of against the very idea of money. Right. So this problem needs to be addressed in one way or another, and. The really great discovery of uh, Satoshi Nakamoto was this uh, proof-of-work blockchain idea where uh, basically what is included in the blockchain is valid and the rules are that you cannot include two contradicting uh, transactions there. So if I can still issue two contradicting transactions, but only one of them would be included in the blockchain and the other would just just die out. Exactly. So, so this is then really, really uh, great idea of, of Satoshi Nakamoto. I mean, the, the exact way about how to do it. Right. That's a that's a great way of putting it, right? Because at the end of the day, the biggest the biggest issue is that double spend issue, right? And Satoshi Nakamoto yes. was that guy who really started making us who really solved that issue of the double spend, right? Um, but that also yeah. explored that idea of finality, which you guys integrate into your piece with the coordinator. But now we see a world without the coordinator, which brings us to coordinate, which is a very great you know innovation for the whole community. So putting aside feelessness for a second, there are three properties of distributed ledger technology that everyone talks about. All right. This is almost like the holy grail of distributed ledger technology. It's scalability, decentralization, and security. Historically, it was considered very difficult to design a system that has all three properties. We already understand what scalability is. It's the, the system doesn't impose limits on the transaction rate. Decentralization is the idea that any network participants can fully participate in consensus. Security means that an attacker can't influence consensus and overthrow the network. We can already see how Bitcoin struggles with satisfying all three constraints thanks to scalability. IOTA with the coordinator also doesn't satisfy the three properties. 
The coordinator is the only entity that can make transactions final. As a result, the coordinator is a centralized point of failure. However, taking out the coordinator is not an easy process. Removing the coordinator introduces a number of challenges for consensus and security. The IOTA team introduces several modules that work to solve the Cordicide problem, such that the network can reach consensus in a decentralized and secure manner. One of the first things that stuck out to me when I was looking more into, into Cordicide was this idea that you wanted to put things into different modules, right? So you have your auto-peering system. You have your spam protection systems, you know, spam, yeah, spam detection system. Um, your tip selection algorithm, all these different things that you consider modules. Why, why was it important for you guys to separate Cordicide into different modules? And what, is, what does this mean for the further development of IOTA? Well, um, it's, I would say that it, it's always good to separate a complete, complex system into different modules because this way you understand it better. Of course, you should understand uh, um, it holistically, how these models interact between each other. But yeah, uh, it's um, when you build something, when you build a car, you would build, uh, you would make, okay, here are the, uh, the wheels, um, here, are, here is the, engine and well, so on and so forth they they do different things but together they they make you drive yeah right so yeah we uh, we just thought about what do we need for the network to work well so for this uh, we need that the nodes of the network uh, would uh, interact between each other and there must be some sort of civil protection in the sense that uh, it should not be possible for many fake identities to uh, to enter the network and to mess with the consensus and so for this is uh auto peering is a uh, is an important ingredient to help because you need to propagate transactions in the network. Um, you kind of talk to your neighbors and you send them new transactions. They send you new transactions. Uh, you also ask them, okay, what do you think about these transactions? Are they good? They say, well, I like them. And you say, okay, maybe I like them too. And so on and so forth. So. It's it's a complex system, and to understand it well, you need to break it into the components. That's a great way of putting it, right? Uh, modularity allows you to make a bigger system just to some of its parts in, in many yeah. ways. A world without a coordinator needs identities for nodes. This will become important for later aspects of the consensus where nodes cast votes. However, identities come with their fair share of challenges, most notably Sybil attacks. A Sybil attack is an attack where nodes forge multiple fake identities. As we discussed in previous episodes, proof of work is a Sybil resistance scheme that prevents nodes from assuming multiple identities. However, proof of work is too costly and slow for the purposes of IOTA. 
Proof of stake is another simple resistance scheme, but it's much more desirable since it's generally more scalable. In proof of stake, by proving ownership of the network's base currency, network participants can become more privileged members of consensus. Proof of stake has a couple of security vulnerabilities, however. Thankfully, these vulnerabilities only arise in longest chain wins consensus protocols, which isn't the case with IOTA. IOTA combines proof of stake with a reputation system to create something called MANA. MANA is both a simple resistance scheme and a system that incentivizes desirable behavior within consensus. Transactions emit MANA that can be sent to a specified node. For example, if Bob issues a transaction to Alice, a certain amount of mana relative to the value of the transaction is also transferred. Bob could then send this mana to himself. Mana is therefore a signal for how trustworthy a node is. Issuing transactions or providing other good services to the network can increase one's mana and thus trustworthiness. To get a little bit more into some of these subsystems, one that I found probably the most interesting, and it's very novel in the space, is this idea of mana, right? And um, so what I understand with mana is it's almost like this way of rewarding good behavior where one of these desirable behaviors is issuing transactions, right? Um, so one thing I really want to talk about, and for all the listeners also you know, tuning in, can you explain exactly why it's important for you know, a node to issue a lot of transactions or, or you know, a healthy flow of transactions? Well, um, it was important in the white in the original white paper version mm. because they kind of considered transactions as votes. But in in the core site, it's even not so much important to to issue a lot of transactions. I mean, it will it will happen anyway because well, Internet of Things is there for. For work, uh, it will it will work and produce a lot of stuff, I guess. But uh, what what money is important uh, about is, uh, for example, it permits you to distinguish between important nodes and not so important ones. So you you need to uh, own some tokens. Uh, you need to issue transactions, or maybe you need to uh, to do some service for for the community so that others would uh, give this money for you. Uh, by the way, the idea is that uh, money is kind of similar to proof of stake, but I wouldn't call it proof of stake because, first of all, it's it's not a leader election protocol to begin with, and also. Uh, you can give mana to another node. For instance, uh, if uh, if you if you have some I don't know IoT devices, you don't need to physically send them. Physically, no, virtually send. You don't need to send tokens uh, to those small devices because well, they may be hacked or, or something, but um, you can only send mana. You kind of send tokens to yourself, but in the transaction you say, "Give mana to to those uh, small nodes, yeah. so that they they 
gain some weight in the network. Another important component of the consensus process is spam protection. Imagine you had a node that flooded the network with millions of useless transactions, right? So to prevent situations like this, IOTA implements a couple of spam protection features. First, nodes must solve a cryptographic puzzle before issuing a transaction. The difficulty of this puzzle is based on how many transactions a node sends within the time interval. The maximum number of transactions a node can send over a time interval is capped by the node's mana and a predetermined max transaction rate. In other words, a more trustworthy node can issue more transactions per second up to some limit. But you know, another important module besides you know mana, reputation, and uh, auto peering is also spam protection, right? Um, and so, can you explain a little bit why spam protection is so important, especially within the context of IOTA? Well, um, it's uh, actually a very natural thing that uh, the bandwidth is not not infinite. Mm -hmm. You cannot uh, download stuff. You cannot download a lot of stuff instantaneously. You, you cannot protect uh, process uh, um, arbitrary amount of transactions. So. Of course, uh, at this initial uh, stage, when so uh, uh, we didn't speak about sharding so far, or I mm. think it's slicing. Yeah, uh, uh, it is something that plant. Um, it is uh, a way to really scale the system, right? Right. Um, but so far, uh, at the current stage, in every cryptocurrency in this world, basically, uh, every node have to process all every transaction. So you have to basically download the, the you have to know the whole blockchain right. in, in the blockchain based systems. So uh, and of course it's uh, if. It's not really scalable because uh, it's fine to to, to process uh, like seven transactions per second, like Bitcoin. Then you can store all this stuff, hopefully for a lot of time. But uh, if you think about ten thousand or hundred thousand transactions per second, it just uh, uh, there is no way to for you to download them all to process them all. Uh, so you need somehow to uh, to distribute this this job between different nodes in some secure way, and uh, it's uh, it's a very active research area in uh, more or less all uh, distributed uh, all cryptocurrencies systems which mm. which are there. Um, but yeah, coming back to the spam protection issue. Uh, right now, when there is kind of a limit for throughput uh, caused by by physical limitations of the hardware, you somehow need to to limit the ability of of actors to issue transactions because uh, um, 
if they if they issue too much too many transactions then maybe the the nodes would not be able to cope with uh, all these uh, all these transactions and we do not want to re really to rely on proof of work for for this because well you know very well that proof of work is really really disproportional i mean you can make a hardware you can make an asic which would outpace a conventional computer by literally millions of yep. yeah so uh, we we don't want to to take this route and route and so uh, there will be a, a kind of uh, spam protection based on on a variant of mana it doesn't have to be necessarily the same uh, mana as uh, the, the one used for baiting the, the boats, but um, it can be something similar. And the idea is that, okay, um, if you are more important, then in the regime uh, when uh, the network is kind of overloaded, uh, in this high load regime, um, the nodes would uh, kind of observe uh, your quotas. So if you have more mana, you have more quota for issuing mm -hmm. transactions. Right. Right. And I, and I think that's great because, right, because you're using that system of reputation to kind of set a max on how much someone can almost flood the network. Right. And you'd expect yeah. that someone more trustworthy would use that power in the right way. And I say power very loosely, but you kind of get what I mean. Um, that, yeah. that, that's awesome. As discussed earlier, in order for a node to issue a transaction needs to approve of two other transactions. How does it decide what two transactions to approve of? This is where the tip selection algorithm comes into play. The output of the algorithm is two transactions that the node should approve of. Both transactions are biased towards a transaction that hasn't been approved of yet. These types of transactions are called tips. The first transaction outputted by the algorithm favors very recently added tips. The second transaction is generally a random selection that's meant to find the honest tips that were issued a long time ago but were left behind. And I think besides spam protection, another, another great thing to talk about is the tip selection algorithm, or TSA as we talk about the white paper. Um, and what I find most fascinating here is it seems like originally in the first white paper that you authored, there was one version of this tip selection algorithm, but now there was you know, some, some conversation on that and it's been changing, right? And now we have a new tip selection algorithm. Can you talk about the difference between the two and you know, what motivated this difference? Yeah, uh, the, the thing here is that Actually, it is not possible to enforce any particular tip selection algorithm because, well, they are random. You you randomly choose two tips, but this randomly choose can mean different things depending on how you do it exactly. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but well, it's it's really not possible to verify from outside. How did you choose those two tips? Just since you do it randomly, it's not possible to uh, 
to figure out which exact tip selection algorithm did you use. And so it's a fundamental, uh, it's a really fundamental feature of, uh, of IOTA, of the Tango, that uh, the nodes are in principle free uh, to, to use uh, a tip selection algorithm uh, which they choose. Yeah? Uh, I mean, we know that, okay, mostly people will download uh, the software and will just run it uh, and the software will work uh, as it was designed, but nothing prevents, in principle, nothing prevents you from hacking the software and changing the tip selection algorithm. Right. Right. Yeah. And then uh, a very interesting question is that, um, well, you have to propose a good tip selection algorithm so that there would be no incentive for other people to, to hack it. Mm -hmm. so if something is already good, why, sh why would you bother changing it? <laughs> yep. So yeah, it's uh, it's something called uh, Nash uh, equilibrium in, uh, in game theory. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, so I you... I even have a I even have a paper uh, I think called Equilibria in the Tango, which studies the question of uh, Nash equilibriums for for that original white paper tip selection algorithm, and concludes that it's it's more or less close to Nash equilibrium. To a good Nash equilibrium, and uh, so there would be little incentive for anybody to to hack it. But anyways, uh, the problem. I should I should honestly do a white paper reading on that as well. But could you just as a little aside, can you explain for the viewers who might not know what Nash equilibrium is in game theory? Okay, so the Nash equilibrium in game theory uh, is basically. Is basically the following. So, suppose that we are um, two people or a group of people are playing some games, um, are playing some game, and they can um, earn money and lose money depending on the outcome. And each one of them has a strategy, which is maybe deterministic, maybe probabilistic. You kind of probabilistic means you with some probability you do one thing with another probability you do a different thing and so on. Well, uh, uh, everybody who played poker or, or something similar knows more or less what to, what is this. So you, you receive your cards and you um, think what to do with them. So maybe with this kind of cards, I will just quit the game and with that kind of cards, I will will stay in the game and well anyway now Nash equilibrium means that uh, suppose well uh, it's it's actually easy to explain what is what is absence of Nash equilibrium mm. uh, my strategy um, so the set of strategies of all players is not Nash equilibrium. If I, as a player, can modify 
my strategy in such a way that my expected reward, expected gain uh, becomes larger. You see? Mm -hmm. And the situation when it's not possible is called Nash equilibrium. So in the Nash equilibrium, everybody would just would just use uh, their strategies and they have no incentive to deviate from them. Yeah. So it's almost That's, an equilibrium in motive and motivation or incentive, but it's almost like an equilibrium in there's nothing better for me to do in this situation. Yes. Yes, that's the idea. All right. And that's great. And, that, and that, that's great news for IOTA, right? Because that's what we want in this situation, because we don't want to give attackers any incentives to, you know, you know, spread out into a parasite, parasitic chain or anything like that. We want everyone's kind of incentives to be in equilibrium. Yeah, yeah. That's great. But, well, we, well, we are talking about tip selection. Right, so, right. Uh, yes. Actually, the problem with the white paper, uh, the original white paper tip selection al algorithm, uh, is not so much theoretical, it's more practical. Mm -hmm. There is so something called cumulative weight right. uh, in that original white paper. It's, well, cumulative weight of a, of a transaction is uh, the number of other transactions which reference this transaction directly or, in, or in, indirectly. And it turned out that when the flow of transactions is really is really large, is really high. Um, it takes a lot of actually a lot of time to to calculate all these cumulative cumulative weights. It's it's just computationally heavy. I see. So um, yeah, it has the white paper tip selection algorithm is is very interesting object from purely mathematical point of view. Mm -hmm. One of my former students, for example, have almost finished a, a complicated mathematical paper about this, this model. And uh, it's, it's really beautiful from a uh, mathematical point of view, but well, um, not all things which are mathematically interesting are um physically useful you know mm. and, and the problem with the original white paper was that we wanted to kind of embed everything into tip selection so we wanted to tips uh, the tip selection algorithm to take care of the security we wanted the tip selection algorithm to be kind of at least close to mesh equilibrium uh, so that others would not start to modify it. We wanted to maintain kind of healthy tango, like everything good gets included in the end, you know. Mm -hmm. We wanted to we wanted tip selection, this tip selection algorithm to do everything for us. Right. And well, you know, when you when you want to do everything, it may be not so so easy, right? Mm -hmm. When you want to do everything at the same time, yeah, yeah, maybe not a good idea. <laughs> at least not always. So exactly. And uh, at some 
at some moment we actually had an idea that it's possible to decouple uh, the security from tip selection. Mm. So instead of letting tip selection algorithm to care about the security or absence of double spans, uh, we can actually can have the nodes talk to each other mm -hmm. and uh, well just decide on on the based on this conversation decide which transactions should be valid and sh which should not be valid and and yeah and then uh, the tip selection can be much much easier um, you don't need to calculate cumulative weights anymore you don't need to do this uh, random walk on the graph which also was computationally a bit too too heavy you can just more or less select two tips at random mm. and this is much much cheaper right from the computational point of view well, it's not, it's not exactly just select select to tip at random. You still need to distinguish between kind of good tips and bad tips, but uh, uh, it's much, much easier when, when you don't need to ensure safety anymore in tips. Mm -hmm. Perhaps the most important part of consensus is conflict resolution. What happens if two transaction tips exist in the IOTA DAG and they conflict? One transaction has Bob spending his five IOTA to Alice, while the other transaction has Bob spending that same five IOTA to Joe. Which one is correct? This is where voting comes into play. The general process is known as the shimmer, with shimmer nodes form their opinion on a conflict by talking to a small subset of other nodes. In one implementation of the shimmer, cellular consensus, if the majority of a node's neighbors think transaction B is correct and transaction A is false, then the node will similarly change their opinion to think transaction B is correct. This creates a sort of ripple effect where all nodes eventually reach consensus on which transaction was valid. Mana also plays a role in weighing the opinion of neighbors. Another implementation is fast probabilistic consensus. Fast probabilistic consensus splits consensus into multiple rounds. In each round, a node queries the opinion of a different random subset of nodes. The node then derives the opinion from the majority opinion. However, this majority is not a simple 51% decision. The majority is defined by a decentralized random number. Going on into, you know, one of the most, probably the most important part of the whole thing and one of the last parts um we have something called the shimmer that's introduced near the end of the the new white paper and yeah. Yeah. right this now, go, shimmer is, uh, go, go shimmer is what uh, is kind of alpha net right it's it's an um, experimental network mm -hmm. uh, written by the researchers in order to test and validate the uh the Cordicite, yeah, the Cordicite ideas. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of experimental, experimental test bed. It will not be the basis of the of the mainnet. The mainnet will. Uh, it's 
there will be a, a, another route to mainnet, which I also don't understand very well because, well, I'm I'm a theory guy. <laughs> yep. But I have to confess that I wrote my last piece of code maybe 20 years ago. So yeah. <laughs> really, really theory, theoretical. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Go Shimmer is uh, is open source. Uh, it's not yet 100% ready, but it's close to to being ready. And there are some modules which more or less will work already. You can you can install and test and yeah. We will be actually very, very glad if you uh, if you play with it because we really need community feedback. Yeah, I'd personally love to, and I'm sure there's there's a bunch of people you know tuning in for this episode that would also be very interested in that. So um, I think that that's great that you guys have you know made that open source and and you know talking a little bit about how you're saying it will be ready soon. There's there's just talk of the future, and the future seems very exciting right now, especially for this project and I guess to ask you um, one last question, you know, what are yeah. you most excited about for the future of IOTA and why? And that can, and it could be anything, right? It can be, you know, upcoming projects that, you, that you're working on within IOTA or just, you know, anything that you really can think of. Oh, I have to confess that I really did not think about it because I kind of prefer solving problems as they come in the right. order of <laughs> so and that's a good way to look at life yeah so the the most exciting thing is uh, what i'm doing now uh, right now it's the uh, we are kind of finishing the specifications figuring out uh, the details of how exactly uh, tip selection should be uh, how exactly you should choose checkpoints. It's well, another story which uh, is not in the uh, decide white paper, but it will be in the next version. It's, uh, it's kind of uh, another auxiliary device that permits you to, to do some things. And there is also this uh, sharding, or as you call it, slicing. Uh, it's a very, very exciting story as well. You know, some people think that uh, it's easier to shard blockchains, but uh, I think it's exactly the opposite. You can because the DAGs are kind of more more continuous, more fluid. Mm. You can imagine kind of one one DAG, one tango around the Earth, and each node only sees some small or not so small neighborhood around it. But still, by some magic, it's uh, a secure system. Although no, uh, you don't even see the transactions from the other side of the globe, but on the other hand, you you probably don't need to to know them. Like in practice, no. And yeah, that's uh, all. All these are very exciting and interesting questions. That's that's a great answer, and I'm, I really like that that talk about sharding and scalability because that that will be you know that is a big question for a lot of these um, distributed ledger technology, and it seems like IOTA currently has you know a big advantage right now. So it's been very exciting to hear about this, and you know it's also been very exciting talking to you today.
I mean, it's truly been an honor. I want to say that again to be able to, you know, have this conversation with you. Uh, equally, thank you very much. It was a great conversation. Thank you for inviting me. Of course. And like we said earlier in the in the talk, you know, there are a few things, uh, a few ways you can get involved in IOTA. Um, and why don't you, uh, Sergey, mention some of those? I know you mentioned the Discord earlier. Are there other ways that you would like to see the community get involved in um, IOTA? Yeah, uh, well, I think uh, the uh, main uh, IOTA Discord is the, really the is really that place. Uh, there is also Reddit. Um, so to, uh, to enter the Discord, you go to discord.iota.org, and then you will get there. You will get an invite. Uh, then you will have to kind of click and to accept terms and, con and conditions, which include not talking about price. <laughs> and then uh, you are there in, in the in the community. It's it's really a great community. I think you can find me there as well. Uh, so yeah, I think that uh, Discord is the main place, but there is also this um, IOTA subreddit. Um, yeah, there are some some groups on Facebook and Telegram, and uh, actually I'm on Facebook alone. I'm in three or four uh, groups, but yeah. Great. I think the, the main place really is the Discord. Got it. Okay, that sounds good. And so, um, like Sergey was saying to all those tuning in, um, there's a lot of great technology out there, and there's a lot of ways we can, you know, help out and contribute. Just make sure you don't talk about prices. But as long as we can, you know, have these conversations, try to contribute. There's a lot of great things in the future or in store for us, both for crypto and in general for technology. So thank you again, Sergey, um, and good luck to you and the IOTA team. Thank you. And that's all we have for you today. In our next episode, we'll be doing a guided reading of Nicholas von Saberhagen's white paper on Monero titled Crypto Note version 2.0.